Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to see you all and to be able to add my welcome to Anne's. Uh, if you don't already know me, uh, my name's Helen Jackson. I've been married, I'm married to Tim. I'm still married to Tim. And we've been coming to St Barnabas for over 20 years. Uh, I used to be a lawyer. Uh, and uh, I gave that up about two years ago, and now I do a rather eclectic portfolio of things, of which uh, this seems the least attractive, actually, just standing here. But it's lovely to be here with you. Um, today, we uh, are resuming our series on Equipped to Pioneer, which we began following the launch of our Year of Pioneer on Vision Sunday. We're thinking about the five areas of gifting which Paul identified as making up the church. He wrote that, that Christ gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, the truth is that all of us are all of these things to differing degrees. And at different times, we can find ourselves being any one of those. But by looking at them in more detail, we can maybe see that God has given us some strengths or particular giftings that we're perhaps not fully recognizing yet. So this week, we're going to look at everyone's favorite, the evangelist. Uh, so let's pray before we begin. Lord God, I ask that you take my words and speak through them this morning. Help us to discern the giftings you've placed in us and be encouraging of the gifts we see in those around us. Inspire us as we remember those who've shared your good news with us and make our hearts bold to reach out and share that good news with others. Amen. So I'd like to start by showing a short clip from a series on sharing faith called Faith Pictures that's created by the Church Army. We're um, looking at this series in our small group or home group, whichever you want to call it, uh, within our Barnabas community. Um, and this is from the introduction to the course. Okay. Well, the question is, is either of the two women being described in the clip an evangelist? Well, the one who, wasn't, who was a Christian didn't completely fail to give a reason as to why she was a Christian, but she didn't exactly staunch the flow of enthusiasm from the Pilates enthusiast. But um, what about the Pilates lady? She was genuinely keen to draw her friend in and share Pilates with her because she found it the highlight of her week. She was a Pilates evangelist, if nothing else, so when we talk about evangelism, there is quite a spectrum of meaning. To start with, all of us who are Christians are equipped already with a story, a story that we can share of our relationship with God and how that came about. I'm not talking about an in-depth doctrinal mission statement. I'm just talking about the story of our own experience. And that's a story people can't deny we've had, even if they're not Christians themselves. Indeed, we're not just equipped with that story, we're called to tell that story, whatever our gifting. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're commanded to preach the word in season and out of season. I'm not quite sure when it's out of season for preaching, but there we go. All of us then 
have to be evangelists to that extent, to be ready and willing to share our faith experience with those around us. But when we're thinking of evangelism in terms of the five particular giftings in this series, there is a sort of evangelism spectrum. And I've done a highly technical slide uh, to illustrate this. It's, it's a bit, I wasn't quite sure, I'm not a scientist, I didn't know how to represent a spectrum. But at the top are, that's all of us just sharing faith as we go along with one or two people we meet. Um, but at the other end of the spectrum are the people that I've called the invitation machines, the people that just can't stop sharing with other people. They want to draw everyone into what they're doing. They're the people who are still inviting people to Alpha to the wrap-up meeting at the end of the course. Um, some of you may know our son, Niall, who's, who's a bit like that. If we, say, invite him and his wife, Charlie, to lunch, he'll often text and say, oh, could I, could I bring a couple of friends along? And we'll say, oh, that's nice. He's not embarrassed to bring his friends. That's good. And then you'll say, oh, yes. And then there's a follow-up text which says, exactly what is the absolute maximum capacity <laughs> of this meal? Um, uh, which, which is a great way to be. And, and if you've come to lunch in our house on that basis, of course you've been very welcome and we've loved having you. But, but it is, we're not all necessarily like that. Um, so the term evangelist covers a spectrum, therefore, from all of us as individuals sharing our experience of faith to those who have a particular gifting of drawing others into everything that they're doing. So with that in mind, let's have a look at our passage, which is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 8, and then uh, 26 to 40. So the, the words will come up on the screen, but if you'd like to grab a Bible, um, I'm afraid I don't know the page number, but it's Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 4. Philip in Samaria. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And moving on to verse 26, Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Amen. So this is the story of Philip, who becomes known as Philip the Evangelist, someone who had that full spectrum of evangelistic gifts. When we first come across him, it's at one, he's at one of the elders who's selected in Acts chapter 6 to make sure that the widows are not overlooked in the distribution of food. He might have thought that he would go down in history as being on the first church rota. But by the time we pick up the story, Philip has branched out and he's now planting a church in Samaria, which was seen as a very hostile and idolatrous place. So the first thing we notice about Philip is that he doesn't really feel constrained by the specific role he's been identified with. He's emboldened in his faith to recognize the true extent of his gifts and use them to further the kingdom. In doing that, he's not overreaching himself. He's not letting his selection as food distributor go to his head. Honestly, discerning our gifts is actually an act of humility. It's letting go of our own plan, our own preconceptions of who we are and who, or who we'd like to be and being willing to be wholly the person that God has made us for his service. It's an act of humility and obedience that can lead to true fulfillment. Throughout this series, we're trying to discern how God has equipped us to pioneer. We have to ask ourselves, am I equipped for evangelism even though I don't normally see myself as an evangelist? Or maybe you already do. Um, if you think about your friendship groups, or your family maybe, are you the person who often suggests getting together, the night out, the extended family gathering? Maybe there are gifts that are actually already manifesting themselves in your life that you're not recognising. If you want some examples of how people have surprised themselves by reaching out, do read this book by David Mayle called How to Pioneer Even When You Haven't a Clue. You can understand why I picked it up. Um, it's a very quick read and it's full of examples of people who reach out to their communities in ways that really surprise them. My favourite is a group of 
parishes in rural Norfolk, um, there was an evangelistic pioneering group of whom the youngest was 64. And they, they did messy church with children in the community. And, and that was kind of the only thing they knew about. They didn't know what to do, but they noticed that the adults quite enjoyed the cutting and sticking. So they decided to do adult messy church um, with kind of slightly more challenging handicrafts and DIY and gardening. Uh, and so they, they set it up and they told the people in the church not to come. And the first week, 28 people from outside the church came up to do adult messy play. So that can only have been the result of people being out and about in their community, drawing people in, saying, this is something you'd really love. But anyway, back to the passage. We've seen that Philip is led to step into leadership in a way that's maybe unexpected. But the second thing which is apparent is that Philip is walking closely with God in the here and now. Left to himself, Philip would not have met the eunuch, but he's lucky enough to be given directions by an angel. But you do see throughout the passage that he's still led by the Spirit all the way through. And that's why prayer is a big part of the evangelism journey. It was God acting in Philip's life and the eunuchs, eunuchs that enabled all this to work. And if we're not listening to God, we're going to miss that cue that prompts us to get onto the stage. As we've seen, Philip does have an angel, and please don't wait for an angel before sharing faith, because you may be disappointed. Philip obeys immediately, even though the angel hasn't told him why to, live, why to leave his fantastically successful new church and go into the desert where he doesn't expect to meet anyone. And even as he catches up with the Ethiopian, he's no idea really why he is chasing through the desert after a moving chariot. The reason we need to be listening to God's prompting and being ready to respond to it is because we have no idea where the people around us are on their Christian journeys. I read a story when I was preparing for this about a, a man who subsequently became a Christian, but everywhere he went, people would come up and start talking to him about Jesus. It drove him up the wall. His friends talked about Jesus. He went into the streets and people would come up in sandwich boards saying, repent and believe, gave him bracelets. It drove him absolutely nuts. But when he finally became a Christian, the one thing he wanted to do was to go back to all of those people and say, thank you for listening to whatever prompting it was you had. Thank you for your faithfulness in pursuing that, even though I was so hostile to you. And to thank God for his persistence in sending those people to him. So Philip listened to God, but he also listened to the eunuch. He listened to the question the eunuch was asking him about the passage in Isaiah, and he started from there. We don't know, sadly, exactly what Philip's answer was, 
But by the time he'd finished, he'd given such a passionate account of the good news that the eunuch is desperate to be baptised immediately. Their conversation can't just have been a theological statement of doctrine, but must have involved some sharing of faith which was dynamic and urgent. Too often we, and certainly I, can be put off sharing faith by somehow thinking I have to have a lot of information or a robust statement of doctrine that I'm willing to defend against any Cambridge academic that happens to come near. But it's much more important to do two things. The first is just to listen to what people are saying about themselves and what they're grappling with. And secondly, to try and encourage them by sharing our own experience and our own struggles. That's exactly what the Pilates lady was doing. She said, oh, you like church because it's peaceful. Well, Pilates is really peaceful. Why don't you come along? One of, uh, one of the odder things I do is that I, I train associates in big law firms to sell work to clients. And, and we do these role plays where I pretend to be rich and powerful and these poor people have to come in and try and sell me work. Um, so in the first role play, I tell them all the reasons why I'm deeply frustrated with my current lawyers and why I want new lawyers and what I'm looking for. Uh, now, after many years of trying to persuade people to work for me or work with me, I, I, my reaction would be to lean across the table and say, oh, I feel your pain. I know this happens all the time. That would never happen if you worked with us. We do all these things to make sure it's not like that. But these poor associates have never, they've never been in a situation like that. And they just sit and look terrified. And then they resort to just reciting information from their website. So having given them all these problems, they say, oh, we have offices in 24 countries and we bill monthly. And, and I, I'm just going, what? What are you saying to me? But, but as the day goes on and we do role play after role play, they get it. They start to get it and they listen and they respond very thoughtfully to what I'm saying. And my light bulb moment this week was to realise that in the context of sharing faith, I'm just like them. I love the bottom half of our evangelism triangle, the going out, sharing, bringing everybody in. But I can think of quite a few occasions when I've had the opportunity to talk about faith directly, when people tell me they're struggling with some burdensome sin from their past or they're struggling with friends who are suffering. And it would be a real opportunity for me to share something but I'm not in a supervised role play. And it's actually easy just to sort of say, oh dear, that sounds very difficult. Um, or, or just to invite them to something where they can talk to someone else. Or if, if somebody actually got to the point of saying, so you've not really answered any of those things, why are you a Christian? I would probably resort to something from the website and say, oh, Jesus Christ died and rose again for our sins. And they would go, yeah, 
Now, where does that get me? How much better and more natural to answer the questions that they're posing by telling something from my own story of how I became a Christian, what are the struggles that I've experienced that are similar to theirs, and what encouragements have I had from being a Christian? It's so much easier to do and so much more normal and so much more helpful to the person who's asking the questions. And then, so I have to ask myself the question, if I have the gifts that enable me to be a passionate seller of legal work, which let's face it, is not something anybody wants, shouldn't I be exploring whether those gifts transfer to sharing faith? Maybe with practice, I would get better like the law associates do. You might think evangelism is not for you, but it's something we're all called to do. If we think about times that we engage passionately with people about anything, about work or football or films or holidays or anything else, maybe we could be doing the same in sharing our faith experience. And maybe you already do. So what are the thoughts on evangelism that we need to take away from this morning? Remember that thinking about our gifts is not about us. It's about putting ourselves aside and prayerfully and honestly considering what gifts God has blessed us with and how much we can offer in his service. Are we the people with a passion for drawing others in? Do we have that gift of reaching out to others, that gift of invitation? Or can we see it in others whom we should be encouraging, releasing to do that? What about sharing our faith directly with others? Are we praying to God for, in, for opportunities for sharing, to point us to the many people who are seeking him? And are we obedient to that prompting and trusting that he will give us the words to say? Do we listen to where people are coming from, what they're really asking us, what their issues really are? Are we ready and willing to tell others about our experience of faith in response? Do we have gifts that we recognise in other areas of life which actually we could be drawing on? Justin Welby in his introduction to How to Pioneer, reminds us of this, that God miraculously calls his church into being in the lives of ordinary men and women who are simply obedient to do what he calls us to do. The local church is the hope for every community, for it is among us that the life of Jesus Christ is made visible. Amen. <laughs>